This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So we're going to get a little bit more specific today, and we're going to nail some things down. Last week, I think, did strike a chord with some of you because I got some feedback and some questions during the week. And, and so we'll talk a little bit more about what some of those were in a few minutes. <clears throat> but let's start off by naming this talk, which we don't always do, but I'd like to name it Evil Love. Now, that sounds like a paradox, right? It sounds like something that doesn't belong together, evil love. Because when you say the word love, it takes on a positive connotation. Uh, You can get into other things that are called love that are not really love, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about love, and when you say the word love, it's positive. And it's supposed to be good. And love actually is born out of the heart of God. And so this may be news to us today that there actually is such a thing as evil love. There's such a thing as a love that is not healthy. A love that is not productive. A love that actually has been twisted, perverted in some sort of way to where it is no longer what God intended for love to be. We're going to talk about what that looks like. So let's start with James 4, verse 4, and go from there. This verse says, You adulterous people, adulterous people. When James uses that word adulterous, He's not talking about married folks who are out fooling around with people they're not married to. That's not the kind of adultery that we're looking at here. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So this powerfully puts an exclamation point on the reality of what we've been talking about, that there are two kingdoms that are available to us to choose between and to live in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And James says that when you choose to be friends with the world, you actually make yourself an enemy of God. In other words, when you claim to be in close personal relationship with God, but you choose friendship with the world, try to choose friendship also with the world, you're actually committing adultery. It's the spirit of adultery because it just does not work that way. So it's all in or not in at all. 
It's an either-or proposition. It's not some of one and some of the other. When you choose friendship with God, you cannot be friends with the world. You actually become an enemy of the world. When you choose to be friends of the world, it makes it impossible for you to have a real friendship with God. Okay? So, no one can serve two masters, Jesus said, right? You cannot be a servant of God and a servant of anything else or anyone else at the same time. It's either or. So what is the world now? Because we've got, we've got to clarify this. I said last week that <clears throat> there is the created earth, right? And sometimes we call that world. We use those two interchangeably, earth and world. All right, but there are really three things that you can identify as being the world. And when you say that's the world, you would be correct. The first is... All of creation, throughout the Bible and throughout the history of humanity, people have referred to what we see in the physical earth as the world. So the planet, the planets around us, the universe, and all of nature that exists on this planet, mountains, the oceans, the rivers, the wildlife, everything that you see that's part of God's natural creation, you can call it the world, and that would be an accurate identification. The second possibility is the people, the people that inhabit this earth. You can look at them and say that's the world, right? You might say, well, there's now 7 billion people living in the world. You're referring to the people that inhabit this planet, and it's okay to call that the world. The third is, and this is the one we're really focused on, it's the spiritual realm that is in opposition to God and in rebellion against his kingdom. When you read in the book of James about being friends of the world or friends of God, this is the world we're talking about, number three. Okay, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it says, do not love the world. Again, here, we're talking about number three. We're talking about that spiritual force that exists, that stands in opposition to God and is in rebellion against God and against his kingdom. And John instructs us and says, do not love the world or anything in the world. In other words, that anything doesn't mean don't love the people or don't love the mountains or don't love the prairies or don't love the seas. It means don't love the things that are inside that spirit of the world. Don't love those things that can be classified as antichrist, things that stand in opposition to God. Things that are contrary to the heart of God, the words of God, the will of God. Do not love anything about the spirit of the world, that spiritual realm that's in rebellion against God. 
If you do, the love for the Father is not in you. He's really saying the same thing that James said. It's impossible to say you are in the Father by the Spirit, that you love God, but you still be embracing things that are of the Spirit of this world. Those two things cannot coexist. It's one or the other. Verse 16, for everything in the world. Now here are the things he's talking about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So the stuff of the world is created by who? It's created by the world. And it's never fully pure. It's never fully genuine. It's not authentic. It usually takes some things that come from God because God is the creator of everything good, but then it will start to twist, manipulate, pollute, pervert, add to, take away from, and all of a sudden you end up with something that seems maybe it's kind of right, so it's okay to be involved with it, but the end of, at the end of the day, it's not kind of right because it's born out of this spirit of the world which includes our cravings and it includes our lust and our desires and it includes our pride. And when you get our pride mixed up in it, it's never going to be what God has planned for us. Those are, that's the focus of the world. I'll give you one small example. So, uh, y'all know already I'm really caught up in this most movement now, and it's, it's growing and it's gaining momentum and it's a big deal, and a lot of really important people are getting connected with it who can help. And girls are being rescued. I mean, in this past week, we've had six girls rescued out of trafficking houses. Uh, that's a big deal, right? Last Saturday night, a 15-year-old that was being hustled between two apartment complexes in South Atlanta was rescued in a real militaristic-style rescue, right? And then four other girls throughout the week have been rescued. A 26-year-old woman rescued. And her story is just, I mean, it would knock you to your knees if you heard her whole story. But she's been rescued, and now she has a chance. She has hope in front of her, a possibility for transformation. It's, I mean, I'm just churned up more about this thing, this fight against trafficking, against sexual exploitation than probably anything I've ever been churned up about in my life. And so this group that I'm part of, the most leadership team and the military guys and all that, consistently sending messages to each other and links to videos and keeping each other updated and news stories about trafficking, about uh, exploitation, about rescues and all this stuff. And so one guy this past week sends a link to a story about a guy who's a, a rock star, a famous, extremely famous rock star. And he wrote his autobiography a few years back. And in his autobiography, he admitted to having sex with a 14-year-old girl when they were on tour. 
And even, I mean, the first time he didn't know she was 14, but then she told him, I'm the child of a police chief, I've run away, the entire state is looking for me, and I'm 14 years old. And his reaction to that was, well, I've got to get you back home, but let's have sex again first. Right? So what, what do you do with that? Listen, you immediately cut off any association that you have with the music, the people, anything to do with them. If you are watching a television program and you see something that is inappropriate for you as a child of the kingdom, cut it off. You have to make a decision. I'm going to be of the kingdom of God or I'm, going to, I'm just going to embrace the world. Right? I, I'm, I'm okay with having that beautiful, fresh, ice cold glass of sweet tea and you're going to take a dropper and drop one drop of urine in it. But I'm okay with that because most of it is sweet tea. Are, are any of you going to do that? See, we're not okay with the physical pollution, but we compromise on the spiritual pollution. We absorb all kinds of garbage into ourselves for the sake of entertaining ourselves. Right? Just cut it off. Just say no. You know the difference, right? You know the difference between right and wrong. You know it's not right. So why do we keep doing it? would just say no. The world and all that stuff we get mixed up in is going to come to a fiery end one day. But when we embrace and live in and are obedient to the kingdom of God, that lives forever, John says. And it's the truth. So I told my wife, I loved this music. It's some of my favorite music. But you know what? Done. We'll never, ever listen to it again. Not one single little tiny word or note. Never. Because I will not abide in, in the environment of any sort of spiritual rebellion against the kingdom of God. And if we're going to be involved with something like most that is taking down perpetrators and rescuing victims, and we're going to talk that up, and we're going to invest our time, talent, and treasure in it, and we're going to do everything we can do to fight against it, but we're also at the same time going to absorb material that is about the very thing we're talking about. Is that not hypocrisy? And that's what's wrong in the kingdom of God is there's too much compromise and there's too much hypocrisy. We'll talk a good game. You know, and we'll throw out scripture to support it. And we'll gather on Sundays and we'll sing some songs and we'll hear the word. And then we leave and we compromise. And we live as hypocrites. It's what's wrong in the kingdom. The line is very, very clear. It's the kingdom of God or it's the kingdom of the world. And the things that identify both are very easy to recognize. 
You cannot love God and the world at the same time because the world opposes God. How can you love two entities at the same time when they oppose each other? To use a very bad illustration, one of the biggest sports rivalries anywhere is the Duke-North Carolina college basketball rivalry. They're in the same state. Their campuses are eight miles apart, and they hate each other. And I have never, ever met a person who said, well, I'm a Duke fan, but I'm also a North Carolina fan. Why? Because you can't be a Duke fan and a North Carolina fan. If you say that, and if you are that, you're demented. You got some stuff bouncing loose up here. You can't do it. And my answer to it is ditch them both and be a Virginia fan. Then God will love you more. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be committed to two entities that stand in stark opposition to each other. It simply is not possible. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. Someone comes to Jesus and asks him, says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Your passions, your interest, your devotion, all have to be turned toward Him and no other. The reason He gives the first commandment first and the second commandment second is because the second commandment is an automatic flow out of the first commandment. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you will love your neighbor like you love yourself. But it starts with loving God. And it starts with loving Him with every part of who you are with every aspect of your human life you love him with your heart in other words you have this deep emotional commitment connection it's a deeply spiritual love it's a deeply spiritual intimacy that you have with God then you love him with your soul you love him and, and you expect your eternal situation with Him is secure, it's intact. Why? Because of that connection you have with Him as father and child. You say, Jeff, do you believe in eternal security? Absolutely. Do I believe that you pray a sinner's prayer one time and you're good to go no matter how you live the rest of your life? Heck no. But if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know where you're going to spend eternity? You're going to spend it in His presence, 100% guaranteed. That's eternal security. All your heart, 
all your soul, all your mind. You love him intellectually. You don't discount that. You see, the problem we have sometimes as Christians is we're all about the emotional part. We're all about the heart part. Right? That's why we love good worship music. That's why we love good fellowship. It feels good. It generates, uh, generates this kind of, uh, it releases dopamine in us is, is what it does. Okay? And then we leave the intellectual stuff to the atheists. Although most of us would not have a suitable response to an atheist who came up and started asking us questions about God and His Word. Because we don't have we don't have it in us to respond intellectually. So how do we get there? Well, we exercise obedience, we pray, but we also study. We make sure we're familiar with God's words. We listen to the right voices. We meditate on the right things. And more important than anything else that I could tell you, is we believe in and 100% depend on the constancy of the Holy Spirit being right here with us. Jesus said, I'm going to leave here, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he told them the roles that the Holy Spirit would fill. And one of those very powerful, important roles is that he will remind you of all the stuff that I told you. So that when you get into those intellectual conversations and the Holy Spirit is right here and you've been engaged with God's Word all week long and you've been meditating on those words, then the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden going to bring to your mind and to your tongue the things that you should say. Man, what a powerful, powerful benefit that we have that we take so little advantage of. Y'all don't act like I, this is good, but it is. It is, whether you believe it or not. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, everybody knows it. But what does it mean? Well, I always like to give you a pathway. I can tell you all day long how you ought to be, what it ought to be like. But if we don't ever tell you how to get there, it's kind of pointless, isn't it? Now I want you to go dig. I want you to go research. I want you to go spend time in prayer and communion with the Father. I want you to read. I want you to study. But what happens in here is that we're trying to introduce the pathway so that you can go then have your own experience on the pathway. Right? I got messages this week about last Sunday. I said, hey, what do you mean by this? I'm confused about that. Yeah, I'm masterful at confusing people. But it, if it motivates you to go try to get it figured out by the Spirit, then I've done a good job. If it pushes you to do things on your own in your own process of discipleship, I've done a good job. I've accomplished my mission. We have to know how to get where we're told we're supposed to be. Okay? I grew up 
as a frustrated kid and teenager in the church. Not blaming anybody, but I'm telling you. Christianity was presented to me as a two lists. I told you this before. A list of everything you had to do to be a Christian and a list of everything you could not do and be a Christian. So you had to go to church, read your Bible, pray, pay your tithes, all that. You could not cuss, drink, smoke, lie, cheat, have sex before marriage. Okay? What I discovered in my attempts to do all those things was that I was weak and pitiful. I mean, I, I fell on my face. You know, at last count, I got saved 1,243 times. Because I just could not do it. Could not reach the standard. Because everybody was telling me where I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to be, but they weren't telling me how to get there. Or maybe they were, but I just didn't, I didn't get it. Maybe I was just too focused on the rules that I wasn't paying any attention to the rest. I don't know. That's why I say I'm not blaming anyone. But we have to know the pathway, and the pathway is trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your ability to get it done. Quit striving. Quit laboring. Quit trying so hard to get it right with God and relax in His Spirit and in His Word and exercise complete and total, utter dependency on Him. Dig into His words and believe those words. Live like you believe it. Don't just say you believe it, but live like you believe it. In all, everybody say all, as has been said a million times by preachers everywhere, I looked up the Greek for all, and you know what it says? All, that's what it means. All, everything. All of your ways. So what's the problem? We know what the problem is, right? We give most, we submit most, but not all. And so we don't get to where we're told we should be and where we want to be. But the reason is we haven't surrendered all. In all your ways, submit to Him. And then what happens? He will make your paths straight. Number one, process. Number two, leave the results to God. Process. Discipleship. Daily trusting. Daily surrendering. Daily submitting. Daily choosing His will over my own. Daily asking for His daily bread. Submitting everything to Him daily and then what's going to happen? He's going to produce God results. I won't quote Psalm 1 to you because you're sick of it. But it's about the process. Right? Listening to His voice, standing in His way. Worship in His seat, right? Devour His words, meditate on those words. 
And then what happens? He produces God results. Your life becomes like a big, beautiful tree producing fruit when in its season. That's when he has, you have allowed him to prepare you to produce that fruit. It's how you get there. We are leaning too much on our own understanding. So a couple questions from last week. I said, go to YouTube and just search great church services or something like that. Well, it probably wasn't the right terminology because then you get, obviously people were getting things I wasn't talking about. You might have more success if you put in like powerful worship services or um, I don't know. Anyway, adjectives and adverbs that really demonstrate or would call up great services, great quote unquote, because how we define great when it comes to church, in my opinion, usually is way off base. What is great? Again, in my world growing up, the best church services were the ones where you had no preaching. You had no preaching because everybody got happy and took up the time being happy. So there was no time for preaching. And I'm all about pe people being happy and worshiping God however they feel like they need to worship Him in that moment or the Spirit of God moving people to do certain things and whatever. That I don't see any problem with that. But I'm not going to qualify a, a service that had no word as the best service I've ever been in. Because the best thing that ever happens for me when we come together is the word. Not the person giving the word, but the word itself is the best thing, and it's the thing we need the most when we come together. And when you put the word together with your worship, man, that's when you have a real powerful God experience. Right? So, what I was looking for there was pictures of, demonstrations of, Western Christianity that we talked about last week, where there's emphasis in all sorts of aesthetics, the appearance of the building, the room, the appearance of the speaker. Um, usually, if you search it un with those adjectives, it's going to give you something like a Hillsong service, right? A Bethel service where you have a lot of people in the room and you have a band on stage and there's a lot of worship going on and a lot of um, praise and good music and that kind of thing. And I'm not criticizing praise and worship, good music, bands and things like that. But what I'm saying is there's a presentation of the gospel these days that is very shallow. And it's not leading us on pathways of transformation that we need to be traveling. you got to get down to the nuts and bolts of the teaching, the implementation of God's Word in people's lives. Right? I, I watched a, a guy giving a talk this past week on YouTube. And the stage had nothing on it. And all that was behind him was a gray wall. 
And I'm like, well, as much as I like to have all this other stuff, I kind of like that too. Because it took my focus off of anything else other than the word that the man was giving away. Let's go to Matthew 6.33 just to reinforce how to get there. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What are all these things? A knowledge of how the kingdom works. Understanding. Discernment. Discernment is a powerful spiritual gift that we need more of. Because discernment affects our ability to think the right way about things. Discernment affects, profoundly affects our decision-making. Discernment will help us to know who in our company is genuine or disingenuous. Right? That will come through seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things. God's will, His direction, His purpose. This, this verse has been manipulated and perverted by prosperity preachers to mean, you know, seek God and He'll give you a big house and a lot of money and Cadillacs and, and private jets, you know. Uh, forget about that. Forget about the, all the stuff that make us rich and comfortable. Let, let's focus on the real God gifts, the word of wisdom. Anybody would love to just have more wisdom about how to live out your life every day? A word of knowledge. How about more faith? You know, you're given a measure of faith, but you can build that up. Right? Jude said, build yourselves up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. You can build it up. Okay? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith. Healing. Anybody would like to see more miracles of healing? Well, listen, it ain't going to happen because we pray louder. That's not what makes it happen. It won't even happen if I start giving more altar calls. That's not what makes it happen. No. I want to see more miracles of healing too. But more miracles of healing will happen when we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then He will show up and do miraculous works in His time and in His way. Healing, miracles. You know, God has gifts He wants to establish in us, but it comes in the process of us seeking Him out, exercising spiritual discipline in our walk. I'm just going to finish up. I know y'all wondering why this is sitting up here. When I was thinking about this whole business of what the world has to offer, and what the kingdom of God has to offer, my mind went to the story of Daniel and to the story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their other names, right? And then also to the story of Nehemiah again. Because these were people, take Nehemiah for example. Nehemiah is living in the palace of a foreign king. He's actually a slave. He just has a pretty posh position as a slave. But he's a slave. He's not where he wants to be. He's removed from his people. His hometown is being destroyed while he's away. So 
He's serving the king. He has a good job. He has a comfortable place to live. But he's always grieving. He always has this thing inside of him because of what is happening to his people. But Nehemiah refuses to compromise who he is as a son of God. When he goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to reestablish the gates, to reestablish the community of his people, he absolutely refuses to compromise. He absolutely shuts down the wrong voices that show up. Get away from me. Not only do I not have any interest in what you're saying, but I just don't have time to fool with you. Beautiful example of how to walk out the kingdom life. Then you go to Daniel. Daniel is also a slave. He's a slave to the Babylonians. He's also in a foreign place. He's... He's got it made. He's got it pretty well where he is. But he's not where he wants to be. But he remains faithful. And one of the things that happens early on is that one of the king's guys comes to him and says, Hey, listen, I've noticed that you're not eating the king's food that we bring to you. Now, you've got to get that straight. And this is a little bit of a sideways threat because what the guy says to him is, Look, um, if the king notices that you're not looking well, not looking as healthy as you could, you know who he's coming for? He's going to lop my head off because I didn't get you in good shape. So the implication that I see is, well, you, you need to get it right because I'm not going down for you. And Daniel says, um, yeah, no, I'm not compromising. I'm not eating the king's food. So you have literal food there. You have a literal life-sustaining situation. But man, isn't it hugely symbolic? Daniel's refusal to eat the king's food is way more than his diet. It's way more than the types of foods he's interested in. It is about that, but it's not just about that. It's symbolic of his dependence on God and his refusal to adopt the king's ways. He says, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. So, Daniel has before him a beautiful bowl of strawberries. Fresh, organic. This is what he's living on. Right? This is what his sustenance looks like. Beautiful, organic bananas. This is what he prefers. This is what he depends on to keep him healthy. And he's doing all right with it. But the fear of the man is, is that over time, if you're not getting the rich foods, the meats, the breads, the wine that's coming off the king's table, you're going to start to wither. You're going to start to lose weight. You're going to start to look haggard. Your color's going to change. Your hair is going to change. And so he comes with this. You know what these are? These are strawberry cookies. Well, it's part strawberry. Right? Anybody need to get your fruit, uh, your fruit portion for today? Well, here's some strawberry. 
He's offering him something that, well, it seems like it's not that bad, right? Anybody going to Norris's After Church Day or Peace Tree Cafe? Yeah, um, I'm going to Grandma Faye's for famous spaghetti and meatballs. That's where I'm going. And you couldn't, you could not bind me in a straitjacket and tie me down, anchor me anywhere, anyhow, and keep me from going to Grandma Faye's for spaghetti and meatballs. That ain't gonna happen. But listen. I'm not bashing what we eat. I eat a lot of really healthy food, and I eat a good bit of unhealthy food. I try to balance it out. Okay? But we're talking about symbolism here. This is how the enemy works. You know what this is? Banana pudding. Well, that's got banana in it. Right? Hey, what's the difference? You just get more here. You not only get the banana, but you get that creamy stuff, that pudding. You get that vanilla wafer. This one's got some whipped cream on top of it. Sprinkled a little crumbled up graham cracker on top of that. Yeah, and if I just set this up here and said, come up and pick which one you want, these two right here would disappear like that, and I'd be left with a strawberry and a banana for lunch. This is how the enemy works. Well, it's got some God in it. It's okay. Um, it's, it's how he approached Eve, right? Yeah, I know. I know what God said. It's got some God in it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's good at its core. But you need, you need some whipped cream on that. And what does he use? He uses... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride. He says, you can be stronger, healthier, happier, wiser, more knowledgeable. You can be more like God than ever if you'll just add some stuff to the good stuff that God already offered. Isn't it significant that God took her and pointed out and took Adam and pointed out that these are fruit trees? Right? And if you just hang out at this tree right here with this basic looking fruit, you will find out that that's all you need to satisfy you, to fulfill you, to nourish you, to keep you on the right path. That's all you need. This tree over here, on the other hand, the fruit looks beautiful, luscious. There's been a bunch of stuff added to it. Okay? You know what's in here? That's not in here, right? And I'm not just talking about whipped cream and a vanilla wafer. I'm talking about on the label the package just came out of. It said, naturally and artificially flavored. Artificially. And we gobble it down. And the enemy's always offering something artificial. Something that's not real. Something that's not genuine. Right? These cookies, Lord have mercy, there's no telling what's in that. Because this was like 
68 cent for the whole big old thing of it. You ever eat those bar S hot dog winners? 98 cent a pack. Ugh. Ugh. And we gobble them down, don't we? Those things melt in your mouth. I don't even know how they call that a hot dog. We have a choice before us, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world is always going to offer a little bit of God stuff mixed in with it, or sometimes a whole lot of God stuff. But if you have anything mixed in other than God stuff, <clears throat> it's a bad recipe. It's a bad recipe. So Daniel refused to compromise. He said, I'm going to stick with God's way. We'll stick with God's plan. And we know what happened to him when he refused to worship the king's idols, right? He said, well, now you've got to die. They threw him in a den of lions. That's sure and automatic annihilation, right? Not if you've been walking the steps in the process. Not if you've been full of faith all along the way. If, if those lions had devoured him and, and the apostles in the New Testament were all killed in some horrible way, most of them, that can happen. We're not guaranteed. We're not ever going to experience hardship or trouble or death. But what we are assured of is that God's perfect plan is going to be worked out. But Daniel was rescued miraculously, as were the three Hebrew brothers who were thrown into a furnace. Then the fire was so hot that when the guys who threw them in opened the door, it burned them up. And they walked out alive. Why? Because they refused compromise. And God worked out His plan. Let's pray. Father, we refuse evil love, the love of this world. We cast it aside. We call it what it is. And we refuse it. And we embrace the kingdom of God with its truth, with its beauty, with its power. And we say that we are kingdom sons and daughters. Pray that you would motivate us all this week to dig deeper and to seek out more diligently than we ever have who you are and what you have that you want us to do and say. We love you. We honor you. We pray that we would go in your peace and power and provision and protection. In your name we pray. Amen.